All right. Hey, I know we, we just prayed, but can we pray again? Let's pray, um, and then we'll jump into the, the passage for tonight. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we again thank you for another day to be up here. Another time to gather together. And I pray that you would continue the work that you've started. And not just in chapels, but in cabin times and wreck and all day, God. And all of it, you're doing work. I pray that in this time, God, that you would take a feeble attempt on my part to make much of Jesus and do the miraculous. God, I can't do it. I don't have the ability. I can't change lives. Holy Spirit, you do and you can. So, God, I pray that your word would go forth. Keep my agenda and my opinion to myself. May only your truth come, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. I know this is going to seem like an elementary question, and you don't even have to answer out loud, but I think it's important to start off, since so much of what we do in here comes from the Bible, the question is, do you actually believe this book? Do you believe this book? And do we see what this book actually is? I mean, if you just take it, you sit there and go, man, that's a really thick book. There's no way I could read that whole thing. Or how, you ever, how many of you have ever tried and then you thought, man, that is really hard. You ever read parts going, I don't get it. Can I just be honest? Me too. And I'm going to keep trying to figure things out, but there's just things that God has revealed that's for our good, and then there's secret things that he's kept to himself that are for himself. And not everything's going to make sense. But the beauty is we just keep spending time with him in it. But do you actually believe this book? Because, friends, we, believe, we live in a culture that doesn't believe in the validity of this book. There's this constant onslaught and attack of the validity and reliability of the Bible. And the sad thing is that it's also from people who actually call themselves Christians. That they're actually trying to take the scriptures and kind of twist them and to say what it is they want it to say so that they can live however they want. The problem I have with that when I hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, I just don't believe the Bible. Guys, I don't believe that you can call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't believe the Bible. Because here's the thing, where do you get truth? Where do you understand the concept of salvation and grace and faith and sin if you don't believe in the Bible? Now, you may not like every part of the Bible. There are times where God and my time alone with him, it feels like he confronts me in things that make me feel uncomfortable. That's conviction, but it's for my good. And there are times where I've disagreed with it and I've had to submit and go, God, you're right. So change me that I could see how you see instead of me trying to change who God is. But the question comes down to, do you actually believe it? So I'm going to read a verse, and many people say, well, you can't just read a verse from the Bible that talks about the Bible. Yes, I can, because I'm not trying to prove that the Bible is the Word of God, because it is. I believe that. Now, if you, sit and go, if you, if you say, I just don't believe that, let's chat. I would love to chat. But here's what the Scriptures say about itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture. Guys, has anyone here ever tried the Bible reading plan in a year? Or come home from camp going, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Like you're on this camp high, mountaintop experience, like the whole Bible by tomorrow. Like you're just jacked. And you start like every other book. You start in Genesis. And you're sitting there going, some weird stories come out of that. Then you get to Exodus. And then the second half, where like after chapter 20, you're like, oh, this is getting weird. Then you get to Leviticus. You're like, you're gone. Like, ah, that's enough for me. Guys, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Friends, I used to look at Leviticus and go, God, why would you give us this book? It's almost like it's your cure for insomnia. Like when you try to read it, you just kind of get a little bit tired. But then, I, but then I had somebody say this, read the book of Leviticus under this umbrella. God is holy. And all these sacrifices that have to be made in order for us to approach this holy God and all those sacrifices then point to Jesus who came and paid the penalty. When I started to understand the book of Leviticus under that, it started to open up. 
But all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, for some, he said, they go, I still don't believe it. Well, let me just do a couple things that kind of show the reliability of the scriptures. Guys, the Bible is written by 40 different authors from all walks of life, three different continents, three different languages, and over a 1,500-year span. Guys, think about it this way. If I came to your hometown and we just went downtown somewhere, wherever you're from, we just went to the downtown and you're with me and we're just walking around and I just randomly pick 100 people and pick some of the hot topics of today. Like if I just walk up and say, hey, what's your view on marriage? Or hey, what's your view on abortion? Hey, how do you vote? That last one would be fun. Do you think out of 100 people in one place in one day that every single one of those 100 people would all agree and say the exact same thing on that one topic? Absolutely not. And yet you have this Bible written over 1,500 years, three different languages, three different continents, 40 different authors, and it's a cohesive whole. It agrees completely. Guys, I think there's something miraculous in that. I also read of this study that a a mathematician did, and a a college professor in mathematics, he took his class through this thing, and they said, okay, what's the probability that a person would come and fulfill just eight of the messianic prophecies? A messianic prophecy is something that's written in the Old Testament that talks about the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus. He says, out of the 300, give or take, a little over 300 messianic prophecies, about what's the probability that one person would fulfill just eight of those 300 plus prophecies? And when they did the math, they came up with this number. The probability that one person would come and fulfill just eight, not all 300 plus, but just eight, is one in 10 to the 17th power. So you said, go, I don't understand that. So 10 to the 17th power, so 10 with 17 zeros after it. So let's put this into perspective. What is that number, 10 10 to the 17th power? Guys, if I have 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars, if I have that amount of silver dollars, it will fill the state of Texas two feet deep. The whole state would be covered in silver dollars by two feet. Guys, that is a lot of silver dollars. Now imagine, we all go on a road trip. No, we all fly, first class, Hume's pain. We all just take this trip tomorrow. We're taking off. When we get there, we choose one of you. And you walk up and we take one of those silver dollars, we mark one red X on it, and then we chuck it into the state of Texas and we stir the state of Texas. And that one person that we pick, we blindfold you and then say this, you can roam throughout all of Texas, but you get one shot blindfolded to find that one red X silver dollar. The same probability that you will find that one silver dollar with a red X on it is the same probability that one person would come and fulfill just eight of the messianic prophecies and Jesus came and fulfilled the 300 plus. And so when people say, oh, Christians, you're just checking your, you're checking your brain at the door. It's just this faith. No, friends, we're looking at it objectively going, hey, there's a lot of evidence to the reliability and the validity, the validity of the Bible. And so, friends, that's why we teach from it. Guys, it's so important that we know the scriptures. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and I want to read this before we jump into Daniel. So you don't have to turn there, but you just read it because I think it fits perfectly with last night and tonight's message. It says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. See, last night we looked at the idea of, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Guys, you ever feel like you just don't fit in? Like, if you've been brought up in the church and you love Jesus and you're really trying to live for him, do you just kind of look around going, I, don't, I just don't like those things, or I don't want to like those things. I, I don't talk like that. I don't act like that. I, I don't see things like that. And we're all still in process, but do you ever feel like, I just don't feel like I fit in? And then there's this temptation that we all would just fit in. And here comes Jesus going, man, I don't want you to try to be like everyone. In fact, we feel like strangers because we are. Guys, heaven is coming. Like one day we will be in the very presence of God. And all the things that we read about in scripture about heaven, friends, I love the fact. Just complete joy. No more tears, except I wonder if we get to cry because we're laughing, Zord. No more pain. No more sorrow. I wonder how many of you this makes sense or hits a little bit harder for some than others. What if I said this? There's no more cancer. 
Because how many in the room by a show of hands have gotten that phone call of a friend or family member that says, I have cancer? And doesn't it just feel like someone just walked up and just nailed you right in the side? Have you ever had that conversation like, God, really? Never have that again. No more school shootings. No more pain. No more poverty. Guys, it's just going to be beyond our ability to comprehend. Do you realize that the Bible says, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Because it means I can't be sad in the presence of God. Like when I'm standing before, it's the fullness of joy. A cousin of mine, she lost her husband. It was a few years ago, a couple years ago. I was just, I, it's not one of those times when I heard about it. In fact, some of you know, know who she is. I just struggled with God on that one. Like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand his ways. I just, I was like, I remember getting the news. It's right after I preached the message. I'm like, what is this? I don't get this. God, her whole life is about serving you. And this is what happens? Have any of you had a conversation with God where you're that honest? And some's like, I would never talk like that to God. Well, guys, you might be polite when you pray, but you're a liar. Guys, read the Psalms, and you just see psalmists just crying out to God, like, I don't understand this. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? You ever felt like that? And so I remember trying to figure that out, and I, I, I couldn't. I didn't get to see her for a few weeks because COVID's all that junk, and then my wife's mom was dealing with cancer, and we had to kind of protect ourselves from being around people because we wanted to visit her. And I finally got to see her, and she asked me this question. She said, how is it that he could be in the presence of Jesus, and we're not there, and there's joy? Guys, I gave such a horrible answer, such a stupid answer. It was like this. I was just trying to help in the moment. What I wish I said was this. In the presence of the Lord, according to the scriptures, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we hold on to that. That those who've passed on, and so my mother-in-law passed away in January, a nine-year fight with multiple myeloma. And it was horrible to watch. And my father-in-law asked me, would you, would you lead the ceremony? Would you lead the service? The celebration of life service? And I said, I'd be honored. It was so helpful. Not saying, okay, she's in a better place because that's what we say. And a lot of people say that, but they really have no clue because they don't know what the scriptures say. But when I can sit there and go, okay, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I can sit there and go in all confidence and now she's standing before God. New. Joyful. Guys, do you see why the, the scriptures are so necessary? And they're so needed and they're so important that help us through these life things that happen. Guys, we don't feel like we belong, and that's okay. Because heaven is coming, but we have a mission until we get there. To make sure that people hear about Jesus. As he continued with the verse, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Do you ever feel like you want to do something you know you're not supposed to? Welcome to temptation. You sit there and go, never, liar. Never, I've never experienced that. Guys, it starts young. Guys, my boys are 19 and 17 now. My oldest, he's this massive redhead. He's like 6'6", redhead guy. His name's Tyler. And then Dylan, he's about 6'2". I'm still taller than that one. The other one's taller, but... I could still jack them up. So, so they're, they're, they're my boys. But the first one, man, baby's born, and I'm exhausted for the first two weeks. I don't know my name. He's not sleeping. We're not sleeping. We're just trying to make it through. And then all of a sudden, you kind of get in a schedule, and I'm telling this boy was awesome. At five weeks, that boy was sleeping through the night. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was like, come on, Lord. This is awesome. And it's kind of nice when they don't move. It's like, oh, they're just laying there. Oh, that's fine. Let's play. But when they get mobile... I have not been well-rested since that day. <laughs> I've been exhausted since. I mean, it's one thing to just pull yourself up on the table and just kind of look around. We can still play. He's not moving. But once he learned to crawl, 
Man, then he's mobile. My wife and I, we just had this conviction. We're not going to baby-proof the house. You're just going to learn how to live here. You're like, oh, that's not the right way to do it. Worked for us. They're not dead, so it worked. I don't know what it is. As he starts to crawl around, he sees this square, this rectangle on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? The outlet? What is it with little ones? They sit and go, yes. (laughs) This goes in there. And so he's, I'm, I'm watching him from the chair, and he starts to crawl over, big old diaper butt up in the air, it's bam, 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 moving over. And then he does that fling over the leg and sits there, and he goes, and he starts to move. I said, Tyler, no. No joke, guys, he looked at me. I thought before this he was like Jesus Jr., like the Messiah, sinless, perfect little being. Man, he looked me straight in the face, and his face told me this. I respectfully disagree. (laughs) Parents of the room, you remember that? Remember that moment you realize your kid is this sin-filled, rebellious little thing? And he turned, and I popped up out of that chair, and I smacked his hand, and he looks, what the, he's looking around. I said, that was Jesus. I didn't say that, I'm just joking. But I smacked his hand, he didn't like it. And I said, Tyler, I said, no. And then he's a little more determined. And he did it again, boom. Did it again, boom. And in my head, I'm thinking, do you actually think you're going to (laughs) win? Kept going. His hands turned a little bit red. Just kept going. All of a sudden, he just, he just starts waddling away. (laughs) You know why I did it? Because I wanted my son to live. Guys, if everyone, if someone was to walk up saying, you don't just, everyone needs to learn on their own. Guys, if that is your mentality, don't have kids one day. Like, that's, that's, not the, that's not the norm. Guys, the reason that we set up rules for my family, my boys, my wife and I set these rules. Hey, don't do these things. Do these things. Guys, it's not to take away the joy, and the joy of their life. It's to enhance it. It's that they would experience life. What we do with the commandments of God, what we do with the scriptures often is God's trying to kill, he's trying to kill our joy or steal our joy. Guys, he's trying to enhance it. He wants to give us more joy. Guys, the one who created joy wants to bless you with it. Why do we think that God who created humor and created the concept of fun isn't fun? It's possibly because we have these desires in us that want us to do things that go against what God wants, thinking, if I could just do this, then everything would be great, and I'd have so much fun. And God's sitting there going, if you do that, it would destroy you. So he will do whatever is necessary to keep us away. He sets commandments up for our good. So we jump, bless you, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Watch this. But Daniel resolved... What did Daniel resolve? Like, what is it? I mean, it says that's the first three words, and I think it's so powerful, especially when we look at, the, we'll look at that word resolved. We'll look at it in a second. But what did he resolve to do and why? We go back to chapter 1, verse 5. It says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And then remember that he's going to give them all new names. Why? Because he's trying to change them. So because all of that is happening, three words, but Daniel resolved. Guys, we got to remember, these four, I'm sorry, these four, they're young. They're not like in their 30s or 40s. They're probably in their mid to late teens. They're teenagers. In this moment, they're teenagers Bless you. So we have Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, take all the youths that are perfect. They look perfect. They have no no problems. They look fantastic. They think well. Take those youths and let's train them up for a few years. So at the beginning of this process, they're young. They might even be younger than mid. They They might be 13, 14, maybe 15. And here's Daniel going, no, no, I've already made the decision. That word resolve in the original language, which is the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it means that which has been planned or purposed. There are, there are translations that translate that word as scowl. Now it's like scowl. How would, that make any, how would that make any sense? Who plays sports? Anybody here play sports? Okay. Now, some of you guys, I'm guessing that you play sports just because you like to have fun. 
Like every time you go out and play, you're just like, I just laugh and whatever. It's like, I don't care who wins, who loses. And then there's oh, the rest of us. It's like, it's like there's this switch that happens. How many sit there and go, you play the game to win, right? So then it's game day, right? So remember I played basketball growing up? So especially in high school, it's game day. We're sitting in the locker room. Coach gives his little speech. Then we get in the hallway. Boom, completely serious. Game, it's like game face. It's like we're all just sitting there going, oh, here it is, here it is, boom, boom, boom. When we go out, we're slapping. There's a sign we put, I think, I think he put the, the Notre Dame sign. It was like, play like champions, boom. I mean, we lost almost every game, but we went for it. And so we're doing like game face. This isn't like, hey, we're just gonna play a game for fun. All in, no matter what. Guys, this is him. He is so serious. He's made this decision before anything comes. I, it's like Daniel saying, I have resolved I have purposed beforehand. I have decided that I will not sin. I'm not going to sin against God by doing what it is that the king wants me to do. And yet I think today what happens is we'll see how things go and then I'll make the decision. Guys, the only way that I can make the decision and be resolved is that I actually know what God says. Going on with the passage, but, David, I'm sorry, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, there's certain foods, there's dietary restrictions that people couldn't have. They, they, they followed the Lord. The Israelites, they couldn't eat certain things because God said not to. Again, somebody sit there and go, God's just trying to take the joy. Guys, he wants to increase their life. Guys, when you look at, when you look at what it is that God says, don't eat or prepare the food this way. It was actually healthy for them. Physically, it was, better, it was better for their bodies that they not eat what everyone else was eating. So again, he's protecting them. But that part about wine, here's the thing. God didn't say on the list, you're not allowed to ever have wine. So why did they say, I'm not gonna have the wine? Guys, it might be this, that when you go to Daniel chapter five, you have your Bibles, turn it down, Daniel chapter five, just a couple pages over. Starting starting verse one, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar's out of the picture already. Belshazzar has followed him. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. Gosh, that sounds like a really fun party, isn't it? The king's like, thousand of you here, watch me. Oh, that's what it was. Hey, watch me drink. So they're all having a party. Verse two, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. Guys, here's the problem. God says, I want these certain utensils that are made and they're going to be used in a specific way. Then all of a sudden, I'm sorry, all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar takes them out of the temple, brings them, and now this guy brings them in and uses them like a common glass. And God is sitting there going, never. You do not treat my things like like they're everything else. Now watch this last part. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Is it possible that Daniel said, I won't drink wine because I know what they do. They drink wine as a worship to these false gods and I will not do the things that they do. Guys, are we that serious? I'm talking followers of Jesus. Are you that serious about Jesus? Because now it comes back to that question I brought up last night. Is Jesus worth it? That you'll say no to the things that he says no to. You'll say yes to the things that he says yes to. See, Daniel chose to be different because God had called him to be different. Now down to verse 8 again, Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, um, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to follow him, um, to allow him, let me say it again. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Guys, I think there's a really cool little principle here. And it's in three words in the middle of verse 8. Therefore, he asked. He was polite. Even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, learn the principle. Be polite. I promise you that it's so much better for you. People respond so much better to polite. Guys, my fear is that as our culture becomes a little bit more divisive, a little bit more angry, we're not looking to be polite. We sit around, we go, I expect and I'm entitled. There's an, there's an expected or entitlement and we demand 
And here's Daniel. Think about it. Daniel and his friends are here, and they didn't do anything. The generations prior are the ones that rebelled against God, and now Daniel and his friends are in captivity. They're where they don't want to be because of the mistakes of others. So don't you feel like maybe these young guys are sitting there going, I don't need to be polite. This isn't even my thing. I can't believe this is happening to me. And hey, you're not going to treat with respect. I won't treat you with respect. But what's Daniel do? He resolves, I'm not going to defile myself, and he's polite. He asks. Guys, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 16, listen. Paul, or Peter writes this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If I walked up, followers of Jesus, I'm asking you, this is for you. If I walked up and said, and pretend I don't, know, I don't know the Lord, and I walk up and I say, why do you follow Jesus? What would you say? Like, seriously, like, think through that. Or say one of your friends, just, school's coming pretty soon, but don't let that depress you. But say you're on campus and your friend comes up and they ask you, okay, you're one of those Christians, why? What would you say? Because the Bible says that I'm supposed to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, following Jesus should give us hope. Does it change everything for you? Your perspective on how you look at things. And then he says this, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Followers of Jesus, young and old, we need to become better at this. This is what we need to go after. And when we do it, we do it, why? Guys, we are supposed to do a gentleness and respect because we're following our Savior, who gave us an example that when he was being crucified, he actually called out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying him while they're attaching him to a cross when they're driving railroad spikes between the two bones in his wrists and, the, and into his feet. He's actually asking that the Father would forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And we need to get out of this mentality that, hey, whatever they do to me, I can do it right back and I can kind of put a little Jesus thing into it. Why should I forgive people? Some say, what's the right thing to do? Absolutely, according to the scriptures. But here's the reason. Here's the ultimate reason of why I should forgive anyone for anything. It's like, oh, can you really do that? Probably not by myself. But the reason I should forgive others, why? Because I've been forgiven a great deal. That Jesus forgave me. Guys, I'm not worthy of the grace of God. Are you? Guys, the grace of God is absolutely mind-blowing. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, catch it, when you are slandered, those who revile your, your good behavior, I'm sorry, those who revile you in your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. He's like, just keep living for Jesus as hard as it can be at times. Keep living for Jesus. We go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel, I love that. You know what that means? Is that wherever you are, God is. When you're in a situation you didn't want to be in, God is there. See, God gave them this. Guys, I remember sitting in these seats at chapels and at camps, and I'd look at the person who's up there speaking, I'd go, man, they got, their life is set. Like, I guarantee they like that bat phone to Jesus. It's like this perfect, perfect life. They don't struggle with sin. And now I'm that guy that gets to do it a little bit. Guys, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm still in process. I'm still trying to figure this life out. There's still times where I get frustrated. I get, I get, there's times I get frustrated with God because I don't understand why things are happening or why things aren't happening the way that I think they should. I still deal with temptations. I have questions that come to my mind and I can't figure it out. And so I have to keep working through it. As doubts come, I have to work through those things. But guys, through the process, I'm more convinced of the scriptures to be true and that Jesus is worth it. But I remember there was this one night and I have a hard time sleeping for about 15, 16 years. I've had a hard time staying asleep. So usually I fall asleep in like seven seconds. My wife knows, don't try to talk when we get into bed because I'm just going to go to sleep. It always happens. Seven seconds, I'm out. And about an hour and a half later, I'm wide awake. So I woke up and these thoughts started going through my head. And these thoughts were this, you're a horrible father. You're a horrible dad. 
You're a horrible husband. You're a horrible preacher. No one ever listens to you. You're a horrible pastor. All these thoughts, just these condemning thoughts were constant. And I was just so frustrated. So I thought, I'll just get up and just spend time in the Word. And I had started that Bible reading plan where you're going through the year like I had asked in the beginning. And I was about six months behind. <laughs> like, whoops, God, God knew I'd slack up on this one. Guys, I love the word and I would go slowly, but I wanted to go through in the year just to see if I could do it. And I was six months behind. And what I would usually do is grab my Bible, not my phone. But for some reason, I got my phone and I walked into my boy's room. They shared a room. It was about five or six years ago. They shared a room. I sat on the floor, didn't wake him up because I don't want him to wake up. I'm in the dark and I'm reading. And I started reading where I was supposed to be six months before. Remember, all these thoughts that are condemning me. It's like, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm always failing you. I feel like I'm failing people around me. It's like, I'm, I'm actually starting to believe these lies that are coming to my mind. And this is the passage that God spoke to me from his word. In Isaiah 43, starting verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Now here's the best part, friends. This is, this is the part that changed everything. Like as I'm sitting there and I'm getting a little bit teary as I'm reading it. But when I got to this part in Isaiah 43, it rocked me. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. And it all stopped. All those thoughts were just condemning, gone. I'm bawling like a baby. Guys, you ever had that ugly cry? Like I said, there's a cute cry. It's like, oh. And then it gets somewhere and the lip starts to go. But when you just kind of lose it, like, but you can't make any noise because the puppies are still sleeping. You don't want to wake them up. So I'm losing it. Guys, I'm laying on the floor and I'm just bawling my eyes out. Then I sat up and this is the thought popped in my head. And I believe it was the Lord because it was so random. The question was this, why do you love these two? And I answered out loud, whispering, because they're my boys. They're mine. And two words, me too. <laughs> and I just lost it. Why do I say that? Guys, that's why the word of God is so important. I also say that for those of you that maybe you needed to hear that. Like, why would God love you? Because he does. But Brian, you don't know what I struggle with. I know, but he does. Guys, for those of you who know Christ, do you realize that he picked you before the foundation of the world? The Bible says this. Remember we talked about it last night? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that means when God created the heavens and the earth, and then he creates light, and light comes from the mouth of God 186,000 miles per second. But Ephesians 1 says this. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. That means before he said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. His love for you was based on him. It's based on him. It's never been about us. It's always been about him. And for some of you, you might, you might need to hear this. But what if you're going through that time of your life, this is the hardest season what you're facing and what your family are facing and what your friends are facing, whatever it is, when I say that phrase that just kind of gets your mind going, that maybe you need to hear that God says, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. When, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Not if, but when. He says, I'll be with you. Guys, I want us to read it from the word Guys, I know we have a culture in the church now that's like, I just want to have this. I want to experience the Lord. And I do. But friends, the word of God is so much more reliable than any experience that we could ever have. And I say this to the people of the church that God's entrusted me all the time. Guys, it is impossible to decipher the will of God if you're not in the word of God. It is impossible to know the will of God if you're not in the word of God. Because how do you know which thought's right? But here's the thing. Has anyone ever shown you how to read the Bible? 
Guys, you realize I heard that over and over in my youth group? Read the Bible, read the Bible. So I did, Genesis, get to Leviticus. I'm like, uh-uh. But I just kept going because there's a little, little legalist in me. I just kept reading, but I didn't understand it. But no one ever showed me until I was 19. You know where I learned it? Here, because some youth pastor from a different church did a seminar, and I went to it. I was like, oh, that's it. So I wasn't going to do it. I was like, oh, just, hey, go ask your youth workers. Go ask your youth pastor. They'll show you what it is that they do, and then they'll, like, you'll have a, have a way to do it. Guys, can I take five minutes to do a practical thing? This is a way, not the way, a way of how it is that you can read the Bible and have a time with the Lord. Deal? Ready? So you have a piece of paper, have a pen. You're going to write down these letters down the side of your page, okay? Not across, but down, the, it's like an acronym, okay? It's not really a word, but it, it kind of is, okay? It's, uh, the word is prom was. You're like, that's not a word, I know, but you'll remember it, guys. I learned it was 19. I'm 49 now. I know you're freaking out. It's like, I would have never guessed. I would have thought you're a 20-year-old. Nope, sorry, guys, not true. So 49, 30, like 30 years ago, I've never forgotten this. So here it is. P stands for pray. Here's what you do. You ask the Lord, God, would you teach me something? Would you show me something? That's it. Guys, prayer doesn't have to be long. You're not trying to impress God with the language. You don't have to use all the Asian words. Oh, justification, glorification, purification. It doesn't matter. You just say, would you teach me? God, I want to hear from you. Would you teach me? As simple as that. R is read. You're like, ah. Oh. Someone like, I don't like to read. Well, it depends what you're reading, right? We like to read a menu. And you'll read posts of social media stuff. You're like, oh, they're all videos now. Oh, it's pretty true, yeah. You sit there and go, well, I don't like to read. Do you realize you can actually listen to the Bible now? I don't like to listen. Well, I don't know what to tell you then. I don't know what to tell you. Isn't it weird? We could keep making all these excuses. God took 1,500 years to pen this book, and we try to find any excuse as to why we're too busy to actually spend time with him in it. Guys, I had somebody say this to me years ago. You'll always find time, you'll always make time for the things that are most important to you every single time. You read. What do you read? Guys, I'm not saying that you have to read a whole chapter or 12 chapters a day. So if you take, take the book of Mark, you go from subheading in your Bible to subheading. It might be, the first one might be four verses. Just read that. That's all you do. So P is what? R. O is observe. This is where you get to, guys, if you look at my Bible, it's just written in. It's highlighted. I've added, it's going to sound weird. I almost sound like a heretic. I've added pages. Now, I don't write like I'm saying in the Bible. I add pages when I'm taking notes, and I'll glue those things in there so I always have them. Guys, I, I can't remember anything if I'm not writing. Anybody like that? Have a hard time remembering things? You're not underlining and writing things? Guys, use your Bible. Right in there, right in the margins. Draw arrows and circles to things that make you think of something. Some people go, Brian, that is the word of God. Yes, it's the word of God. It's not his face. You're fine. You're not writing on his face. You're writing in the Bible. Guys, God wants you to know his word. But what do you observe? You're, it's like you're answering the questions of who, what, where, when. Like who's in, the, who's in the story? Who's in the passage? Where are they? How many people are there? Are there words that are repeated? Are there phrases that are repeated? Timing of events, they're important when you go through it. So P is R, O, M, meditate. You're just thinking through it and you start asking questions. I'm not saying you sit there and go, hmm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you think through it. So as you read through it and you've read it, and guys, honestly, four verses, it might take you if you read really slow, a minute at the most, four verses, it's, I mean, it's half a minute, normal, give or take, something like that. I'm not saying spend hours. I'm saying start here. And you think through to start asking questions. So P, R, O, M, W. Oh, nope. Nope. It's a little bit of a trick. You write, and you're like, oh, that's R. I know, but it starts with a W, W-R-I-T. You write. Guys, if I, had my, if I had my backpack, in my backpack is my journal. And I've kept journals probably since I was 19 or 20. And so I've got 30 years worth of journals. Those are the one things. I'm not sentimental. I'm the one that's thrown away my yearbooks. I remember one day at home, I had my high school yearbooks. I'm like, I never look at those. And I just chucked them all. My wife wasn't very happy. When she came home, she's like, where are your yearbooks? I was like, I never look at them. I never read them. She, would, she didn't see it the same way. It's a little more sentimental. I just got rid of them all. But my journals, no, don't touch them. Leave them alone. Because it shows my journey with Jesus. And why do I write on paper rather than on like the computer? 
Because my prayer is one day, maybe my boys will be bored enough when I'm dead that they can read through my journey with Jesus and hopefully that will be an encouragement to them when they see the highs and the lows and they realize that they're normal too. But you just write. How many of you guys like creative writing? You just love it. Like you write a story, write a poem, write a song. That's you, right? So if all of a sudden you get into one of the stories of the Gospels, put yourself in one of the characters. Like pretend you become one of the characters and just write from their perspective. If you're the guy that's healed when Jesus heals that paralytic, pretend you're him. How would you act? How would you respond? Or in that same passage, remember he cut in line. What would you feel like if you were the next one to get, to get healed? How would you feel? Frustrated? You start writing about that. How many said they go, I am not good at creative writing? Okay, here's what you do. You write, okay, as you're reading, anything that pops out, anything that stands out more than the rest, write that out in your journal. Write out the verse. And then underneath it, write out why you wrote it. That's it. You write out the verse, write out why you wrote it. That's all you have to do. Why am I asking you this? So you get in the habit of doing it. Because I'm convinced we're the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church. Friends, we've got to get our faces back in the book. P. R. O. M. W. A. Not ask. Most people say that. Apply. Guys, you take a passage that was written a couple thousand years ago and you apply it to your own life. This is not the question you answer. You don't, you don't ask this question. What does the Bible mean to me? No, there's truth. What does the Bible teach? What's the truth that the Bible's teaching? Then how do I apply that truth to my life? Do you see the difference? I apply that truth to my life. God, how do I apply this to my life? P R O M. W, A, S is share. Guys, how many have ever gotten a text or a phone call or that friend showed up at the perfect moment right when you needed them to? And we sit there and go, what a coincidence. And God's sitting there going, I don't believe in that. Because here's the Bible, 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 7, chapter 6 or chapter 7, where Paul writes this, God who comforts the downcast comforted me by the coming of Titus. God comforted me by the coming of my friend. My friend showed up and God comforted me. Guys, who's to say that God doesn't want to use you tonight or tomorrow to divinely help your friend who has been praying for God to intervene? So when I say share, guys, maybe it won't be every day, but this is what you should ask at the end. God, is there anybody that you want me to share this with? And if somebody pops in your head, just send them a text. Send them a message. Give them a call. Hey, I was reading. This stood out to me. I asked the Lord. I feel like I'm supposed to share this with you. I hope this makes sense. Guys, stay away from this, this phrase. The Lord told me to tell you. Because if you don't know that it was the Lord who told you to tell you, don't say that. Guys, you realize that in the Old Testament, God gave this warning. Anyone who says that they're speaking on my behalf, and yet they're wrong, and they're not, and you find out they're to be stoned to death. So I'm always very, very careful. So I usually say it like this. Hey, you popped in my head when I was spending time in the, in the word with Jesus. I'm just sharing this with you. I hope it's helpful. Guys, I cannot tell you how often. I cannot tell you. It blows my mind how often, say, how often people say, you texted at the perfect time. Blows my mind. Guys, how amazing would it be to think tomorrow, what if God wants to use you like that? P R O. M-W-A-S. Guys, by a show of hands, and you be honest, like if you're not, not going to do it, don't do it. But how many sit there and go, I'll try it tomorrow. I'll see what happens. Anybody? Awesome. Guys, don't start in Genesis and think you go page by page. Pick, start the book of Mark, start the book of Philippians, either one of those. I love the book of Mark, get to know Jesus. Philippians has four chapters. It's the letter of joy from a guy who was written while he's under house arrest. So it's like, mm, that's a pretty sweet one. Guys, subheading to subheading. Just read that. Write something. Write a verse out. Why you wrote it. Apply it and share it with somebody. Guys, freak out your youth pastor or your youth volunteer. Just walk up and say, hey, I was spending time with the Lord in the Word. Huh? And this is what I think he's teaching me. Huh? And I think he wanted me to share this with you. Man, that would be awesome. How many youth pastors sit there and go, come on, I want to see that. How many youth workers are like, ah, oh, come on, this is what I want to see. And you and the youth workers, can I just encourage you? 
and nudge you. The most important thing your students need is not, this is going to sound weird, students hanging there with me, is not that you're there for them. The most important thing that they need is that you abide in Jesus that you love him more than anything and that you're in his word. And when you love Jesus most, you will love your students best. The greatest thing they need is that you would love Jesus with everything and know his word, that you could guide them and show them how to be a disciple who follows Jesus in his word. Okay, let's start to finish up. Daniel chapter one, now to verse nine. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. In other words, friends, the way that we live should be noticeably different where people look, and look at you and go, why do you act that way? Or why do you see things that way? Or why is it that you have this outlook? Where does your hope come from? It should be noticeable. There should be something different about you. And there should be something different about me. That's what they're saying. That's what's happening here. And isn't it cool, Dan? Hey, test me in this. See what happens. And it came about. Friends, as you continue to walk with Jesus, for those of you that do, for those that don't, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm still praying that as you continue to hang out here in chapel and hang in your cabin, discussion groups and cabins, that you'll hear more about Jesus more and more, that you'll come to the place where the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, the Father will draw you to Jesus, and that you'll enter into relationship with him. But friends, the Bible is so necessary. My prayer is that you'll become a, you'll become a right now, not when you're older, now, that you'll resolve. You'll make the decision now, put the game face on, Guys, that you'll fight against the temptations. Just like my little one-year-old when he's crawling across the floor, diaper butt, and he wants to sin, you say, I'm not going to go against, I'm not going to do those things because I don't want to sin against God. And that you'd be a person who's about the book. Young people. Guys, I know Mondays are hard because you jacked up on sugar and you're tired. Catch this. Would you teach us older ones what it looks like to have true faith? Like, would you become the church that God always wanted, that Jesus left it here for? Would you live in such a way that your faith causes me to feel convicted for my lack of faith? Guys, not later on, now. And if, friends, my prayer is that you're part of a church community, I'm guessing that you are, but that you're part of a church community that believes that youth can make a difference for the kingdom of God now. And if ever anyone was to walk up and say, oh, you're just too young. You can't do this yet. It's probably because they're too old. Guys, God loves to use the teenager. Will you make the resolve? I will live set apart for God. I want to do the things that God wants me to do. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. And I'll be a person of the book because I believe this to be the word of God. And I'll read it the best that I can for the rest of my life. And I promise you this, as you read through it, one verse will stand out one year. And as you read that same verse or that same section the next year, another part's going to pop out because the Holy Spirit's revealing new truth to you. But it's not, it's not good. We sit there and go, I read most of it once. I'm good. I'm fine. Guys, that's not it. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn that God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke everything into existence. It's in the Bible that he says, hey, and he created male and female. He created them. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn about this grace of God. What's grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Guys, has anyone here ever gotten a picture from a little one who colored it for you and they just kind of did a horrible job? 
Like when they're three and they get the crayon and the crayon, it's like they grab it like a dagger, right? You give them a picture of a puppy and they're like, ah, oh, and they pick a purple. It's like purple. And all of a sudden their face changes. They're like, mm, and they just go for it. And I, it's like the lines are optional. And then they walk up and they go, can I, can I a picture? Then do you look at them and go, that's horrible. Like you didn't even put anything in the lines. Guys, you know what happens honestly? Every time my boys would give me something. And then sometimes it's like they colored, but it's like one line. They just got bored, they're like, done. And then they give it to me, the kind of picture. Guess where it went? On the fridge. Every time. Why? I didn't care about the picture. I love the fact that they wanted to give me something. I just love the fact that they loved to color. And I wanted to make sure everyone got to see it. Why? Because it's priceless, not to the world, but to me. Guys, grace is so amazing. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, referred to faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. Guys, it's in the Bible that the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's in the Bible that we learn what sin is. It's in the Bible that we learn that Jesus came to redeem, to save us from our sin. Guys, it's in the Bible that we learn all these things about God and who he is, our plight, his remedy. Or we can just keep scrolling and looking at things that don't last and are pointless. Or we could sit and try this. Friends, for those that said you're gonna try, I'm praying for you. And I'm serious, if you see me walking around, I would love, even if you're saying, I don't feel like the Lord wants me to share this with you, please just share it anyways. I would be so encouraged if you just walked up and said, this is what I feel like I learned in the passage today. <gasps> you gotta come back to that question. Is Jesus worth it? Guys, if he's not, you will not resolve to do anything. If he is, you will. Can I pray for us? Let me pray. Jesus, we give you thanks for tonight. God, do a great work. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray for each, each student in here, each, each middle schooler, God, that God, for those that, as we even went through the word and how do you, how do you spend time reading it, and they want to try it, I pray that it would be amazing. I pray that tomorrow they would get something out of it. They, make a re- they would resolve. They'd make a commitment to stay in the word. Father, I pray for the youth workers in this room that they would have a resolve to be people of the book, people of faith, and they give them a resolve, God, that they would love these kids. God, please encourage them. God, may we, all of us in this room, resolve to live lives that are set apart for you because, Jesus, you are worth it. God, thank you that you gave us your word. Thank you. Thank you for what you teach us in it. Thank you for how you speak to us through it. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says amen. Love you more than you know.